So there in your outline, the, the section here, chapters or verses 8 through 14, you can break it up into two sections, uh, verses 8 to 10, we call the fulfilling the law through love, and then 11 to the end of the chapter, verse 14, uh, titled Living in the Light. So basically two, two easy sections to this passage that we'll break it into. Um, and if you've ever read the Confessions by St. Augustine, you might remember this passage being very influential in his life. So St. Saint, Saint Augustine, I say Augustine, you may say Augustine. I've heard people with doctorates say it both ways, so you can argue over that. I say Augustine because I don't want to be confused with the city, St. Augustine, beautiful city in Florida. Um, but St. Augustine wrote a work called The Confessions, a classic work. Uh, he was probably three to four hundred years after Jesus, and he was a very, very smart intellectual man, studied philosophy, uh, the wisdom of the world, and he wrestled with the things of the Lord, and he wrestled with a strong uh, sin nature and a lustful nature, and he was very, um, I guess, he lived wildly, you would say, and had many uh, women that he spent a lot of time with, and he found that he couldn't break away from it. And you read in the Confessions his struggle with that. And it, I think it's about chapter 8, he gets to the point where he has a conversion experience, and that conversion experience came from reading this section of Romans. He, he, he was drawn to read Romans chapter 8. It's a little weird in that he was out uh, under a tree, apparently, and he heard a voice of a child saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he didn't know from where it came, but he took up his Bible and said, okay, I'm just going to flip it open, and this is where it fell, and he read uh, this section at the end of chapter 13 in Romans, and said that his heart was changed forever, um, that he was converted. A uh, very, very powerful passage in his life, so we're going to look at it today and see if we can um, delve into it a little bit more. So we, we move uh, from the beginning of chapter 13, this concept of debt, that there is a concept of debt that Paul has here. And um, Mingledorf, uh, Jonathan Mingledorf taught last week about how Paul teaches that we should pay our taxes, we should pay what is owed to them, uh, we should give honor and respect to them in that passage. And so there's this idea of public debt, the public debt to society that we owe. Paul says you should pay that. But then there's also, as we move into the end of this chapter, verse 8, Paul says, owe no one anything except to love each other. So he's still got this idea of debt that he's working with. And so it kind of doesn't, at first when I read this, it didn't make sense how you go from just talking about honoring uh, the governor or that kind of thing, paying your taxes, to uh, fulfilling the law through love. It seemed like that wasn't an easy transition, but Paul's moving through with the concept of debt, okay? That you pay your debt to who you owe debt, and now he moves to saying, owe no one anything. So pay your personal debts, owe no one anything, be the kind of person who pays off your debts, but always continue to owe the debt of loving one another. You never get to stop paying that debt to love, uh, to love the other. So no, owe no one anything. Don't continue to owe. Um, there's an the idea of continuously paying off that debt. Um, you see here, I, I put a quote from Leon Morris I thought was a good summary. He says, we pay our taxes and be quit. 
we may give respect and honor where they are due and have no further obligation. But we can never say, I have done all the loving I need to do. Love is a permanent obligation, a debt impossible to discharge. Um, and that was Leon Morris. I think that's a, a good way to put it, that, that love is a debt that we never finish paying, that we continue to pay it, and we will continue to pay it um, until Christ comes back. But to continually be giving to others what is owed to them is the idea here. So verse 8, if you have your Bibles open, Romans 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So to love another is actually to fulfill the law, is what Paul says. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Summed up in this word. So we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to actually fulfill the law through love. But first, your discussion question there says, according to Paul, is it wrong for a Christian to borrow? Because Paul has said clearly in verse 8, owe no one anything. Owe no one anything except to love. So is it wrong for a Christian to borrow or to have debt of any sort? What are your thoughts for the Christian? This could go a lot of different ways. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Okay, so it's only owed if you don't pay it back. So maybe the idea is that if you're working on paying it back, that that's different than just having a debt that you just never even try to pay. Right, yeah, yeah. You plan to return that. Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we we've hit on some of you know what it what is actually intended. What did Paul actually intend in this passage? Um, the law of of love, and are you? What is your heart in, in a matter of debt? Are you? just trying to live above your means 
and never pay it back? Or are you in the process of, of paying what's owed? Um, you know, there's extremes here, obviously, that we could get into the extreme of, you know, the Christian should never, ever be in debt. Well, that may be too far on one side, and maybe the other side will, you know, it's okay to have a lot of debt. And so finding, walking in wisdom and finding that place, like what is the wise place for the Christian to walk and have debt that you're paying, what's too much and what's too little? I don't think the Bible lays that out clearly, does it? But it does give us plenty to know what's wrong. We should be tithing, right? We should be living in, in, in a way that's uh, loving to others, which is going to require that we probably sacrifice the things we want in order to help, help others. Um, there's a lot that we could get into, but uh, we'll move on from that. It might be a little off the topic, but I thought it was interesting that in studying for this, I saw in a commentary there is a, a picture, um, I don't know all the details, that it was, it was an artifact that was found uh, a long time ago in one of the Roman churches, from one of the Roman churches, I believe, and it was an inscription from Romans 13, and if I remember correctly, I think it was, uh, I think it was verse 7, right before our passage today, verse 7, where it says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom is respect owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Um, that was like in a plaque in a Roman church, apparently, uh, or in a Roman, you know, area. This verse was emblazoned as something that was important to them to remember, to pay to whom what is owed them. Um, I thought that was very powerful, that that was something that was so important for them at that time. So we, we pay our debts, and we pay our debt to love, and that's one that will never pay off. And it says that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, verse 8, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So we're getting at this, this idea of how love fulfills the law. And the question is, well, who are we talking about loving? He says, love another. Whoever has loved another has fulfilled the law. So are we called here to love Christians, other Christians, people in the church? Or is this calling us to love people outside the church, um, people in our work, in our school? Uh, who, who are we talking about here? Who are we supposed to love, and how does, how does that fulfill the law of love? How does that fulfill the law? Are we supposed to just love people in the church or people everywhere? What are your, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> Exactly. So you feel like it's going that direction of everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. 
this is this is helpful, isn't it? So I think this is helpful that we're we're drawing from what is Paul actually said. What does the text say? The context is helping us see who this applies to. What has been said in other areas of scripture? What has Jesus said in other areas of scripture? So we start to build a picture, you know, from the text itself, context, what other verses in scripture teach, and we can get an understanding of of what Paul means here. He doesn't mean probably based on other teaching in the context to just love other Christians, but to love everyone, that your neighbor is anyone, um, those that you meet on the street, those that you uh, live next door to. Um, we're called to, to love, to love everyone, even the difficult, even the hard, <laughs> um, and pray for God's help to do that, because I know I fail, and probably you feel as I do, and, and often fail at that. So we are to love one another, and this, as, as we've already heard, um, refers to the law of Moses, fulfilling the law, uh, the namas, which is, is uh, in your outline here, there's a relationship you have to God that we see in the law, a duty to God, and there's also a relationship to one another. Um, so you've probably heard it before that if we look at the moral law, you can divide those things up into those, those things that show our duty to God and obedience, and also those things that show our duty to the, the fellow man. Um, Paul says here, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And he also says any other commandment. So some may question, well, why did Paul just list those few things? Why didn't he list some of the other uh, moral law there? Well, he's, he's covering his bases. He's making sure that, you know, you've got the basics, and he says, and any other commandment. He covers his bases. That this is, is, you know, God's moral law in general um, is covered when he says that. And so it's not that these specific commandments were somehow more specific than, than the others, but that they in general just show us that the law is about not harming your neighbor, right? He says in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Because in the law, you're basically being told not to harm your neighbor, <laughs> right? And so if you're loving them, then guess what? You're fulfilling the law. And so we see that, that uh, Paul is arguing there for uh, the love of your neighbor as the fulfilling of the law. And the sum of the law is to love your neighbor as yourself, as quoted from Leviticus 19:18. So the question for us is, after reading this, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, Paul, fulfill the law through love. Do no harm to your neighbor. But on the street, day to day, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself. What is, what is that? Okay. Yeah, showing respect. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, what is it? Because you're supposed to love someone as yourself. So who do we usually take the best care of? You know, I make sure I eat every day. I make sure I drink every day. 
So the kind of care I think, you know, that I, I consider in loving myself, that we should care for others in the same way, that we should be as concerned that others have what they need as we are with ourselves. Um, yeah. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What can you ex- extrapolate? Yeah, wow. Forgiving as we have been forgiven. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah, yeah, and that's the ultimate, you know, picture that we're, that we're looking at, right, as Christians, is that we're looking at Christ and what he's done for us, and then trying our best to turn around and, and give that to other people, uh, which we've been given a lot, and to, to give that to other people is, is always going always gonna to be a debt that we never finish paying, right? Uh, you had a thought? We can go there. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very well put. That is exactly the direction I wanted to go to because you can't, you can't understand how to love your neighbor if you don't understand what it means to love yourself. And doesn't that, you know, we see that in ourselves and in society get uh, because of sin and because of uh, all that is broken in the world now, that self-identity and self-image is not what it should be. We see that breaking down in our society. And um, you can have a very unhealthy view of yourself and 
doing harm to yourself and not, lo- not understanding what it means biblically to love yourself is actually in itself a big problem that prevents you from loving others. Another thought, yeah. And yeah, and whose image are we made in? Who's, you know, let's go back to the beginning, the Mago Day, whose image are we made in? And understanding that, you know, casts the right light on the rest of, you know, what we think and what we do. Um, uh, very important. So is it, is it wrong to love yourself? I think we would obviously answer that question no. Do we often have wrong self-love? Yes, it can go two directions, right? You can have self-love that is too much, uh, selfishness, and you can also have self-love that is is wrong in that you you don't see yourself in God's God's image and likeness, and you don't um, love yourself in the way that that he has called us to an unhealthy, you know, harming of yourself or that kind of thing. Um, We could talk about this a lot, trying to decide if we should go into the what, what we see in society right now we'll, we'll jump on because I think I th- we, we've said this a bunch of times identity is such an issue right now I mean it, it's 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 always been an issue and we see it dramatically surfacing with with you know the male and the female gender dysphoria all that stuff that it's just gone to some really extreme links um, the problem that we have with identity and Paul over and over is grounding our identity in the gospel and God and in Christ and understanding um, that we are created male and female so we won't we won't spend time there today but uh, we'll move on so F says that fulfillment is used in the New Testament and you see there in your outline uh, it's usually referring to a new situation or teaching of Jesus Uh, we see fulfillment New Testament usually refers to a new situation or teaching by Jesus and what is typified uh, something that is typified is something that has become reality so we use words like typology Uh, some of you are familiar with that how the Old Testament typology is preparing us for the true the real and the New Testament when Christ comes right Um, that the sacrificial system was a type of the true sacrifice that was to come uh, we see that moving from Old Testament and New, Te- New Testament. And when Jesus comes, he fulfills all that the Old Testament was looking forward to, right? That he was the sacrifice that was needed. He was the fulfillment um, of the law. And so we see here that Paul is saying that, that the law is fulfilled through love. It's fulfilled through love. And so we have to kind of understand what, is, what does it mean to fulfill something? What does that biblical terminology mean? What does it mean for a type to be fulfilled, if we're going to fulfill the law through love, um, I uh, we we someone gave us our, our daughter a little toy phone, and she she loves to play on it, and she'll pick it up and call Elmo, and we'll talk to Elmo, and sometimes she'll call Grandma and Grandpa, and it's just got a few buttons, and makes noises, and for her that's a phone, and she pretends with it, and it's really. I, it's, it's a type of an iPhone, right? It's just a type. It doesn't do what the iPhone does. She can't actually call anybody. But for her, it's the best she can get right now. It's a shadow of the true thing. One day, 
a long time from now, when she's a lot older, maybe she'll get one of these. Or maybe she'll have something just, you know, what, just have something implanted in our brain and we'll telepathy. I don't know what, what will be going on by then. But she has something that it's just a type. It's not the real thing. It's a shadow of a real iPhone. What her little plastic toy is like compared to this iPhone is vast, 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 you know, difference. And so, you know, a type, the Old Testament was just showing us just basic, you know, it was like the toy iPhone, and it was nothing like what was to come, um, the true that was to come. And so I think that Paul's getting at that the law, the law is pointing us towards this love that's the fulfillment of it, that's ten times better, it's ten times better. We don't, the law is not bad, the law is good, and we need the law, but it's, it's compared to love, it's a shadow. Compared to love, it's not, it's not anywhere near is good. Paul says that, verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Um, so discussion question for us, what is the practical difference between obeying the law on one hand, so we can obey the law, and fulfilling it through love? What's the difference between obeying the law and fulfilling it through love? Aren't they the same? I don't know, are they? <laughs> okay, attitude. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. She's obeying the law, but it's not, she doesn't actually want to. There's no, yeah, desire to do that. It's a, yeah, that's a very good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Any other thoughts? So it's, it's, you know, we can fulfill the law. We can not murder someone. Law says don't murder. We can not commit adultery. Law says don't commit adultery. Um, but, you know, obviously Jesus says if you harbor anything in your heart, any anger towards someone wrongly, that's to commit murder, right? Um, so there's a... a a sense in which uh, we have not fully obeyed the law to its intended um, destination. The law's point was that there would be no ill will anywhere at all in anyone's heart at any time, that there would be love, right, which wishes only the best and never has any inkling, desire, thought of any harm to any person at any time. Um, and that's something that we know in part right now. 
by God's grace through the Spirit. And hopefully one day we will know in full. Um, and surely we will by faith. So there's, there's, a, there's a gap, right? We see there's a gap between fulfilling the law and fulfilling the law through love, the law's intention. Um, the law's intention was that in the negative, you do no harm to people, that it restrains, it restrains us, right? It shows us the God's character, uh, what he's like, that God is love, and so he um, intends only what is good, and um, we often do not. And so fulfilling the law through love is to always do uh, what is good out of an actual heart that wants to, right? <laughs> out of an actual heart that actually wants what's best. Because if I really wanted what's best for other people, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sin, would I? I would, my heart would be pure, um, but we don't always. And so our, our desire is to be more like Christ and to fulfill the law through love more and more. Um, and Paul encourages us, encourages us in that direction. So uh, now we move into the second section where uh, Paul talks about walking in the light, living in the light. Uh, you see in your, your outline there uh, that he talks about how to know the time, knowing the time. So verse 11, chapter 13, verse 11 says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So Paul's using language here. He says, you know the time, and he gives this, this language kind of gives a sense of urgency. You could also, some would translate it, knowing the time. Um, there's some urgency here, and it's referring to this new age that we've entered into, right, with Christ coming, that we've entered into this new period, and there's an urgency now to wake up. The, the day has come, Christ has come, we live in a new time, um, you know the time that the hours come for you to wake from sleep. We need to wake up, Paul says, um, and live in the light. And he uses uh, the language of night and day. Verse 12 says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Um, and I think this terminology, we could take it several ways. If you flip over your page, night and day, really we could look at them in two, two different meanings. Um, on the one hand, we have simply night and day, a literal just night and day that at nighttime it's dark. Usually that's associated with bad things happening, right? Daytime, the light, we associate with doing good things, doing what's right. Um, in Paul's day, in a time where there was no electricity in cities, especially uh, it would have been understood that nighttime was when people did bad things. If you were an upstanding citizen at nighttime, you made sure you were at home with your family and you weren't out, you know, doing something under the cover of darkness. Um, so nighttime is associated often with evil done in the dark, and daytime is that which exposes, it brings to light. It, um, we walk in the light as those who are in the light, Paul says. Um, there's this idea that we should now, because Christ has come, I like this imagery that he uses like the dawning of a day that Christ's coming is like the sun has begun to come up. The hour has come. He says, before, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. He says, you know, 6 a.m. this morning, the sun started coming up, and my body starts to know it's, it's time to stop sleeping. It's time to get up. Christ has come, Paul says. It's time to get up out of your, your stupor of living in darkness, living in sin. Christ is here. The dawn has come. Start to live like that. Let's wake up and live 
in such a way that honors uh, the fact that Christ is here. Um, it's now, salvation is now nearer to us than it was when we first believed. Um, and the Old Testament uses the, the phrase, the day of the Lord, a lot. You probably heard that, the, the, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. And that's used in the New Testament. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.8, there's a reference uh, to the day of the Lord. Philippians 1.10. Um, and that is another way that we could understand this, a second way. So not just living that darkness and light are, you know, obvious ways of talking about do what is right for the, for the daytime, don't live in sin. But Paul also, I think, references and commentators will say that this is a, a, a reference to uh, the day of the Lord coming, that Jesus has come, um, and it carries the present and future with it, right? That Jesus has come, and yet he's still coming. That our salvation has been accomplished, our salvation is being accomplished, and in a sense it's still to be accomplished, because we have yet to see the consummation of all things. And so Paul's getting at, you know, the dawn has come, wake up, and we're looking forward to even more coming as the day progresses. Let's get to noon and to the, the peak of day when all is actually brought to light fully. We see it partially now. The sun's coming up. We're living in the new day. We're living in this new day when Christ has come. And hour by hour, we're getting closer and closer to the fullness of that, right? Um, and we're called to live more and more in that light and more and more in that love and in that obedience to Christ as he has come. So Paul is encouraging us to, to live in light of the day. Everything's changed, right? Everything's changed. Christ has come. Everything's changed. Um, there's a present change, and there's also more to come, and we're heading that direction. So in light of that, in light of using the word light, <laughs> Paul says to put off and put on. There's some things to do now that we're in the light, to put off and put on. And these verbs are often used of clothing. Um, there's some other places we can see them. You see in your outline there, Acts 7, uh, Mark 15, those same verbs are used of clothing, this idea of putting on something and putting off something. Um, Paul says uh, from verse 12, The night is gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off, the same verse for putting off clothing, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So cast off the works of darkness, put on. There's something we're casting off. There's something we're putting on. Uh, Paul likes the, the, the image of armor. And my question for us is, why do you think Paul says to put on the armor of light rather than the works of light? Because that seems like it would follow his language. So he, you see here, he's saying to cast off the works of darkness and I would think that he would follow that up with put on the works of light, but instead he says put on the armor of light. There's a, a reason for that, I'm sure. Um, but what do you think, why do you think that maybe that's the way he put it? Rather than put on the works of light, why do you think that instead he said put on the armor of light? Yeah, yeah. 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 
Good point. Yeah. So maybe there's a reason, or what Paul's Paul's thinking here is that we need we need armor <laughs> to protect rather than necessarily action. I don't know. I don't want to read too much into this, but I think it's good for us to consider. It's where you get the power, right, to actually do, yeah. That's the, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's the direction I want to go because that's the direction the passage goes. Is that there, there is a, a, you know, a putting on of Christ, this, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this, this intimate union that we have with Christ. Um, the, the quote there at, on the bottom of your page under putting on Christ, uh, it, said, it means more than to put on the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, Rather signifying, let Christ Jesus himself be the armor that you wear. That Christ himself is the armor that we wear. And as, like in John, um, as the, the fruit abides in the vine, as we abide in Christ, as we um, live out of his love, we begin to, from, from living in him and having him in us, this intimate union, we begin to do these good works and to do these things. Um, out of a out of a heart of love because we've known love himself right and as you know Christ you begin to look at look like Christ um, so yeah this this idea here uh, is important that that we're putting on Christ himself uh, it says in verse 14 well let's back up verse 13 he says let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness not in sexual immorality and sensuality not in quarreling and jealousy it's really the opposite of the commandments, right? The, the moral law that he's stated some from earlier, these are the opposite. Um, but he says instead, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So ultimately he's working towards this idea of putting on Christ and putting off sin and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Um, it's a strong metaphor that expresses the most intimate union. You see that in your outline. It signifies this habitual identification with Christ. It's a life of continuously, day by day, identifying with him in his life and death and resurrection, um, that you have become one with him. And out of that flows, out of that flows uh, the power, right, to obey the law. Um, and as we, we said at the beginning, this was the passage that St. Augustine was converted by. He, he took up and he read, and he read this passage at the very end about 
uh, walking properly as in the daytime and not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality, all the things that he was living in, and it pierced him to the heart. And then it, he read that it said to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And it was, it was the Spirit's application of that to his heart at that moment that he says is his, was his conversion and when he changed. Um, and that's what God's Word does, does it not? It's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of soul and body. And so it, it calls out of us... Um, it calls out of us sin, and it, it identifies what is sin, and convinces us of our sin by the Spirit, and calls us to look to Christ, the one who um, alone can save us. And so your discussion question there, as we, as we wrap up this passage, um, how does the gospel enable us to fulfill the law through love and walk in the light? The two things, really, this passage is about is fulfilling the law through love and then walking in the light. How does the gospel empower us to do those two things? Yeah, yeah, well put, well put. It's, uh, that's the heart, right? That's the heart of it, this Christ, the person, that he is the one who's finished the work, and we in him and united to him are able to fulfill the law through love and walk in the light. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Apart from him, you can do nothing, but with him, in him, we can do all things through Christ. Um, I can't put it any better, so we'll close with that. Um, any questions before we close? Any thoughts, concluding thoughts?
All right. I'll go ahead and pray. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You know, uh, I don't think, I need to look back. The commentary didn't, didn't give any other place that I was seeing commentaries, uh, Moo and Morris. Um, I, I will look at that too, because that, that may, I think that that might be the only place. Because what's interesting about spiritual armor that they, I did see is that Paul doesn't always identify the same attribute with the same piece of armor. Does that make sense? So breastplate of righteousness you see that in Ephesians, but then he calls, I think it's Thessalonians, he calls it the breastplate of faith. Um, he doesn't always use the same attribute with the same, and I know that's different than what you're asking, uh, but it's just, yeah. So I think that Paul's getting at the big idea, you know, of that there's this spiritual armor um, that, that we need, and it represents, you know, like you need a breastplate to protect your life, so you need the righteousness of Christ, so you need faith and hope in Christ. Otherwise, you are going to be killed without that breastplate, right? The helmet of salvation. I think that's the general idea. And to get down to any more specifics probably is getting past what Paul intended, maybe. Um, but that's interesting. I want to look at that as well. Um, that may, I think that was the only place that he's ever said those particular words, armor of light. But I'll, I want to look as well. Um, so we'll go ahead and, uh, and, and wrap up before we go to worship. Father, we thank you. Romans, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ who has fulfilled the law and who has done everything necessary that we might come to you and know you by faith and that we might fulfill the law through love and walk in light because of Christ and his spirit within us. Help us to walk in his um, love for us and his union with us to abide in that love that we might love others as we have been loved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.